Welcome to the Tech Sales Show, where we are dedicated to making you a better tech seller, sharing tried and true sales strategies and answering your questions weekly. What's up, Brian? Hey, hey, Bobby. Here we are. We're in part two of series 23, Creating Opportunity. Last week, we talked and kind of shared the mindset of this two-part series. Uh, the thought process is really some of my own experiences lately, coaching some sales reps, both uh, working for big tech companies and those that are hoping to get to big tech companies. But the, the, the theme that made me start thinking about this episode was really the conversations where people were trying to find opportunities and not having so much the create mindset. Um, I think the create mindset is something that has helped me be successful. I've seen you do it in action, Brian, but it's something that I've been trying to pass on to these students that I've been teaching. And we talked a lot about last week that if I went to a big vendor in Chicago and saw these posters on the wall where they were they were coaching and teaching their, their sales reps to create, compete, and win. And I think that's the mindset that every good, every above average sales rep should have. But often I see people talking about they're trying to compete, hoping to win, and then claiming to create. So we're going to get right back in that mindset this week. Any thoughts from last week's episode, Brian? Well, one thing, it's slightly unrelated, but actually maybe it's not unrelated. Um, you called something out there around coaching too. So I know... Bobby, that you uh, you've got several folks that you're helping work through, whether it's get into the industry or um, you know help them get if they're on a plan. I know you've got one person that you're helping kind of up their game a bit to to get to the next level. You want to talk about that a little bit briefly? Yeah, not not a commercial or sales pitch, but uh, currently got a, about a half dozen students that I'm working with, all in various stages of their career, and. Uh, Happy to help anybody out there that's looking for a little bit more help, but um, I made a post on LinkedIn, I guess it's been a few weeks now, but got quite a bit of uh, feedback and thoughts on that and met actually met a few executives after I made that post, but um, the funny thing that made me make that post on LinkedIn was I was taking my son to a golf lesson and realized that I'm paying hundreds of dollars a month for my son to get golf lessons. And there's still a lot of salespeople that are struggling out there that aren't aren't spending pennies uh, to get some coaching. So if you find yourself taking your kids to a bunch of sporting activities that are costing you a fortune and struggling a little little bit in your game, uh, shoot me a note on LinkedIn. I'd be happy to have a conversation and put a plan together that would help you as well. Yeah, good stuff. And if you just want to, if you feel like, man, it's a new year, I'm a little like worn out. I think we all get there in sales. Uh, Bobby, you've had the unique opportunity of kind of 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 taking a deep breath and running a business. So if you just want a refresher and somebody to kind of uh, talk to and get some direct coaching and get some perspective, uh, would be some good time as well. No doubt. And the the executive I went to lunch with, I was like, you know, what what more defines happiness than not being tied down to everything and being able to go do something you love every day. That's what we're all shooting for, and hopefully I'm getting to do it a little bit earlier than most, um, and then hopefully the money will, will last through the process. <laughs> all right, so part two of the creating opportunities. Um, let's jump back where we were last week, kind of part one this week, part three last week. It's the creation mindset. So 
we we all think about prospecting and creating opportunities inside of those prospects, the companies we're not doing any business with, the the list of quote unquote white space as we called it at Microsoft, right? But I, I think there's a mountain of opportunity that goes missed almost almost daily inside of our existing accounts. Um, at Dell EMC, we called them uh, we called the prospects of our world underpenetrated accounts, and then we just called our other customers customers. But it was hard to get people to want to get engaged at the customers. Um, we sold tons of product. We weren't selling it all to everybody, but it wasn't. No one wanted to have that go get it kind of mindset until the competition had a renewal or the competition was going to sell more product. Surely you've seen this, Brian, where everybody jumps in to compete when it's time to compete, but very few people are there day in, day out, creating that opportunity for their team. Yeah, it's a challenge too, because obviously if you're if you're not the one in there generating the interest and driving the engagement, then obviously then you're gonna be um, you're gonna be competing against someone that has or you know, best case scenario, you're gonna be dealing with a set of requirements that you didn't help develop. Yeah, we've we've talked about many examples offline, but let's just take the one that's probably very prevalent today to a Microsoft team, right? They've got sure. a ton of licensing that they sell still. They're probably still transitioning many people to these cloud type agreements in some form or another. But let's just say there's hundreds, hundred thousand enterprise agreements worldwide still, and out of those less than two percent probably have Microsoft CRM attached to those agreements right so what do you think microsoft corporate's doing today thinking oh if we could just get 10 more percent of that in Mm -hmm. those accounts right out of a hundred thousand we transitioned this year ten thousand accounts to microsoft crm what would that do to their revenues their market cap and just what they were what type of engagements a microsoft could have with sales teams potentially finance teams where they could add more dynamics. I mean, they, they got to think that's a huge opportunity. They do. And I know, you know, from a sales ops perspective, sometimes we, we look at the ivory tower and they're seeing our, the lens they're looking at our business through and there's, there could be some frustration there, but for what it means for us as sellers in the field is that it means we're talking one or two more, three or three more deals here, which you know, all, all the time it comes down to what one or two, three deals uh, to get to your number by the end of the year. And I look, I've been in those shoes and there's no way they're going to add CRM, right? They've, they've been a Salesforce customer forever, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. There's some you write off, but the sum that you don't write off is, is really where the opportunity is to create it. So how do you get them to attend an event? How do you get your sponsor to introduce you to the people that are making the CRM decisions? How do you get, to the, the chance over a three-year contract where you already have MSA signed, you have contracts signed, you are a, an approved vendor. You've, you've got Easy Street as it's concerned to your ivory tower people looking down on your business saying, why don't why are we doing this? And, and maybe it's incentive plans and compensation. That'll always be an argument. But if you're the business owner, you're thinking, man, if I could just capture a little bit of that space, why aren't the teams creating it? I think there's a few reasons, maybe a little bit of laziness, but more than not, it's it's just not being able to coordinate that process and having that creation mindset. There's for Dell EMC, we sold a million products probably at the end of the day. 
uh, as a as a rep in the enterprise space, I could resell Microsoft, I could resell Citrix, I could resell anything and everything I wanted to. Um, but it was hard to have a bag so full of stuff and have it top of mind. You can't have everything top of mind. But I would say, I would challenge all the reps listening, if you're not at 150% of your pipeline goals and your revenue goals at, at the middle midpoint of Q1 here, do what you can to build a team, a cohesive team meeting that would say, how do we go get to 300% of our pipeline goal by the end of March to go blow it out? You got plenty of time. Don't wait till December, right? Think of ISVs, think of add-ons, think of resell, think of partners scratching backs of each other so that you get into other deals and other customers you're not in by bringing people into your deals. There's plenty of opportunity. You have to have the creation mindset. It's This is not fishing. Yeah, nothing out of Okay, so once we do transition to the creation mindset, um, it's a completely different ball game to compete. Um, Brian and I were talking before we started the record uh, about my son's golf career that is uh, flourishing somewhat. As a golfer, I'm thrilled to death to see him flourishing. <laughs> and it's been fun to see him go from shooting in the 110s, 120s last year at this time to being able to go out and play a very respectable, respectable round of golf in the mid-80s. Well, it was impossible for him to compete in the mid-80s a year ago, and we've done a lot of things to where we've changed that. But he didn't hope. He didn't just say, I hope I get better. He's gone to the golf course six or seven days a week every week since last year to, to shave those strokes off his score. And I think as sales reps, we need to have that same mindset of both practicing and, and getting ready for that opportunity to compete. If we assume that we've taken on more of a creation mindset – how much easier, Brian, is it to compete when you've practiced all year to have that shot to compete? Well, yeah, and it's it it um, it will help you if certainly if you've helped create this opportunity, your the compete will be far different than if you were led to this slaughterhouse against other competitors because you've got opportunities to um, to place traps in there with you know maybe you know a competitor of yours a key competitor of yours can't do something that's important to their business. You're able to help the customer see how important it is to their business that you accomplish X or Y that your technology does. Um, you can uh, formulate better executive relationships. The, the quicker you can uh, set yourself up on the creation fronts, the, the more loading you can do from a compete, uh, competition standpoint. No doubt. And so I would say, using the golf example again, if, I, if, if a year ago I just told my son I'd add 100 yards to his drive, he would have taken in a heartbeat. But the drive still would have bent way to the right or way to the left. He still would have been out of bounds. It just would have been another 100 yards further out of bounds. And I think that's what we're talking about as we as we use a silly golf analogy to talk about sales. If you're If you're just hoping for this massive leap in performance – that's not going to happen if you don't do the groundwork to, to make the needle move along the way. If the, if the sales teams don't come together at Microsoft and say, we're going we're gonna to have a creation mindset and we're going to go target these 50 accounts with CRM and we're going to meet these people, sell this value, work with these partners, then when you get the chance to respond to an RFP around CRM and one of those 50 accounts, if you haven't been creating – you're not you have no chance of winning that is completely watering a dead plant and your proposal will take 
a ton of time from the team. It'll take hundreds of hours, man hours, woman hours to, to create and write, and it's a complete waste of time. If you create the opportunity, then all the other competitors are in there solely competing. Um, I can't I can't state it enough that if you create it, then the competition gets a whole lot easier as well. And I think key that you mentioned in there too, Bobby, about how let's say that you're targeting 50 prospects. You don't have to go into it alone. We've done a number of podcasts on partnering and partnering to win. And this is a great opportunity for you to be the quarterback for your territory and uh, partner with you know, maybe a top system integrator that wants to do more in your book of business. It's a great opportunity to do a little bit of dividing and conquering. Agreed. And as I think about competing, the the few times lately that I've had a chance to review a proposal or work with someone who's trying to, to, to catch up, which is what competing is, you're kind of catching up if you didn't create the opportunity. The The proposals are me, me, me. They're all about what we can do, that the competition stinks, they're no good, they happen to be the incumbent, but but I'm I just I, I can help tell you all the reasons why they're no good. The the competitive proposals that I've seen lately just don't have the meat that they need to have. And we talked about this, Brian, right before we kicked off, but something at Microsoft made us be really afraid yep. of the competition, even though we had quote unquote ninety three percent market share back in those days. When when Linux kinda got like one percent market share the company flipped upside down, and we were focused on winning the Windows story. Um, we were not going to give up market share. And I'm sure today that internally there are hundreds of posters on hundreds of walls at Microsoft making sure that there are holes in the AWS story so that Azure continues to win. And you can look at stock prices and market caps to realize something's changed to where Microsoft has quadrupled since we left. Um, all around this cloud story, and Amazon helped create that, and Microsoft is now competing in that and winning. But if a proposal just says Amazon sucks, it's not realistic. They don't suck. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was going to hit on the the previous point there too. It's I think it was a very uh, rational, maybe it was irrational fear they had that drove this insatiable desire to keep out companies like Google and to keep out. Well, even in the early days, kick out Novell and the remaining accounts. Well, that, I can remember big compete campaigns on Lotus. I can remember when I thought, as a manager at Microsoft, there were maybe less than 500 uh, IBM Lotus Notes accounts in Houston. And the theme was we were going to take all 500 out that year, right? Like we were, the mindset was to crush and completely eliminate these stragglers, not from the monopoly mindset that might have been there 10 years before we joined, but just from the, we're not going to lose. And once they did decide to compete, they competed hard. And I would say that if everyone in the field competed as hard as the, the conglomerate was trying to compete, they would have been a different ball game. Some of those things would have gotten moved out much, much earlier. I think when I was, was working with a team and would sit down and try and compete, a comp- create a competitive proposal, my mindset was around removing risk for the customer and telling a story that would not only just highlight the, the positives of my account, um, but not throw a bunch of stones at the competition. There's a chance they're going to pick them again, and I still want to stay engaged. I don't want to burn an account. So I would try to do things to show the customer that they can remove risk, have a better partner community, have a better 
overall team environment that was going to support them through both vendor, partner, and reseller, um, and tell something that the customer wasn't hearing from the competition. We've all been the incumbent. It's pretty easy to throw over a renewal quote, and we all know there's not much flexibility in a renewal quote. I've always kind of thought I could beat the competition. What do you? What about you, Brian? The meaning of the incumbent. Did you think you could beat the incumbent? Yeah, I mean, if you don't enter enter into it with that kind of mindset, then what are we doing here? Right. So I think how much do you know about your competition? If you're listening to this podcast, plane, trains, and automobiles, what are you thinking about the competition today? Who's your biggest threat? Who do you try to fight every day? How much do you know about their messaging? How much do you know about their story? When was the last time you went and looked at their website, watched videos on their product, read a white paper on their solution? found a a sales pitch online that you could listen to and watch to see just what are they telling their customers. All that stuff is readily available today. And it's hard. It takes time. It's not something that we all have a plethora of time to go do and watch our competition. But when you write that proposal and you can tell the stories that they're tell things that are not their story, I think you'll benefit um, in the long game with customers as you create those competitive proposals. I agree, and it goes back to to, to me anyway. It, <clears throat> the way we sell is that we we are intensely, and it kind of rolls into the next point here too. We are intensely focused on uh, understanding where the client is trying to go, and then how does our solution align to that. And if it doesn't, then we need to be very real with ourselves. But if it does, then how do we um, align the highlights of what we can do and contrast that to what the competition does? And it's all about the value and being very clear around how we differentiate, how we help solve their short-term, long-term business objectives, and how subtly the competition can't accomplish that same thing. Well, I got to ask, Brian, how many how many of your competitors are cheaper than you? Just just list price, quote to quote, how many of them are cheaper than you? All of them. Yeah. So All of them. We're not... about double the price of our next competitor. So, I mean, do your reps just always get – to sell their stuff for half off to kind of play a fair game. No, and actually even with the discount, we're half, we're double the price. So. <laughs> right. So, I mean, yep. I think, but that's, that's that, I mean, how many, how many average reps have we worked with or been around that tried to sell and win on that discount or tried to sell and win the last hour with a few points? It's, it's not going to be the case uh, of long-term success, Right. So as we transition from creation to compete, now to win, man, the best way to win is profitable. The best way to win is with a lot of margin. I mean, if we are paid a commission, hopefully you have some positive kickers on the high end of that scale. Um, I've been around a lot of average reps, man, that start at their floor, right? They start at their bottom. And then it makes it really hard to compete because we've, we've all been there in the final hour. There's got to be a final little itty-bitty give, whether it's dollars, whether it's another month of support, something. you gotta got to come up with something. But I've strove to have good, positive, profitable wins. If not, I'm not, I'm not interested in doing all that work for small amounts of revenue and small amounts of commission. Um, how much, Brian, if you can recall – how much could you discount an enterprise agreement at Microsoft when you worked there? Man, I don't remember that number. Zero percent. I mean, it was long. set. It was set. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was kind right. of a list price that even resellers yeah. couldn't change. We couldn't change it. It was what it was. Now, we could potentially 
add a few line items. That was back where we could add a few seats of CRM or some other things. But we were seating more than anything, I think. Um, select. There was no real discount in, in, unless there was a real problem. Maybe 2008 when the market was way down, we could discount up to two or three percent to the reseller. But it was not. It wasn't going to win the deal, right? Like, yeah, you weren't going to displace Oracle for a two or three percent discount on SQL. It just wasn't happening. No. No, and I there's a lot of lessons from that. The the it goes back to we talked about this a couple months ago about how, you know, what if artificially our discount level was zero or was five or was ten? It it always happens that we're right up at the edge of whatever that max is, right? Um, so that obviously there is a there is a lesson there. But what it did, folk, what it did really help us concentrate on, and what I think we executed really well on was. Um, we had a repeatable sales motion that we would do over and over and over again and, and a repeatable analysis that we'd do, kind of a six-year analysis that we would do that showed them how, hey, this is the way you adopt Microsoft technology. Here's what we're investing in. Here's what's coming in the future. Here's what's available now. And we had a good repeatable motion, motion that we did over and over and over again. No doubt. And some of that, I mean, they had the luxury of market share, so some of that was an insurance policy, right? Like there mm-hmm. were so many contracts out there that fluctuated I mean, there was, uh, I guess, a third of the market that needed to renew to get the next version of Office, right? I mean, someone was a genius at Microsoft that thought of all these things, but um, they were they were paying to make sure they weren't going to get caught with the best product being released and them not having access to it. But it also gave us the opportunity to, to to sell the bigger, broader picture of what we were offering as a company. So, how how do you take any of your current engagements? This is a rhetorical challenge to those listeners out there take any current engagement that you have take any team meetings that you have take any partner meetings that you have and turn them into an opportunity to create opportunities inside of your customer base inside of your prospect base inside of the partner's customer base that you're not in yet how do you find a way to go in and and create at least 20 percent of your yearly pipeline in the next six weeks it's there for the taking. It's you, you got to have a shot to create it, and it's just going to take a little bit of a different mindset and a little bit of different work than you're doing today to go out there and create those opportunities. All right, so we'll wrap it up. Uh, this week we really this week and last week the whole theme of the story came from a poster that I saw at a big reseller in Chicago some ten or twelve years ago, and that poster said "Create, Compete, and Win." And I think it's something that I've thought a lot about since then um, that, that's changed the way I prospect, that's changed the way I've worked with my teammates and team members as, as a manager to have them go create opportunities before they just tried to compete to win. So last week I kind of teased I'd share some of my insights on how I spend my time. And it, it really is just a balance for me to make sure that I don't spend too much of my time just doing one piece of my job as a sales rep. So you got to spend time in your existing accounts. Everybody's probably got some unless you're just a brand new BDM and you're just a hunter only. But don't spend more than 10 times in your existing accounts. Far too often, I, I, I pick on specialists all the time, but specialists, they spend time going and taking their, their current customers to lunch. Their job is to penetrate and help reps go win new business. If you're a specialist, if you're a sales engineer, if you're a sales rep, don't spend more than 10% of your time in existing accounts on a weekly basis. Brian, if you work 40 hours, what's 10%? Four hours, half a day. That's, that's it. 
half a day. That's probably two or two or three meetings at best, two face-to-face meetings or one face-to-face meeting and two phone calls. You can't spend a lot of time in front of your existing accounts. And a lot of that time, Bobby, could be spent getting your, if you got a CSM team that's focused on customer success or if you have a partner that, um, you know, is doing some integration work out there. It doesn't, even all four hours don't have to be necessarily directly with those customers. It can be on strategy as well. Well, get your virtual team, including partners, to spend 10% of their time in your existing accounts. You've probably got people spending 100 hours in your accounts. It's a great point and one that I think especially reps, uh, sales engineers, and others need to take heed to. Their their job, even if it's still just 10%, those customers are getting a lot of touches, uh, a lot more touches than they would yep. get if it's just me touching them. Then there's, there is, hopefully you do have some sales. This is field rep focused. If you're in the field, you got to spend about 20, 25% of your time on active engagements. Hopefully you have some recent wins. You need that to be successful. Too often people win and they turn a blind eye and they never help their customers and their teams and partners get to deployment, which is really what the customer bought, right, was the end goal. Um, so spend some time on those things, making sure those active engagements happen. That's not a double dip of the other 10% in this 20 or 25%. Make sure you're separating those two. Um, you got to make the new wins become raving fans. And then spend half your time creating opportunities. This is prospecting. 50% of your time, that's 20 hours a week prospecting. You gotta be you gotta be religious and block that time on your calendar. You've got to have it available to do it. If you don't block it on your calendar, I promise you you won't do it. And then finally, 15% of your time has got to be allotted to the internal stuff. It's a pain. It's terrible to think you gotta spend six hours of your week updating Salesforce, doing your expense reports, focused on internal training, etc. But it's a reality. If you're not putting six hours into it, then you're not you're not going to get it all done. Brian, as a manager, what's some of the most painful things you deal with from an internal perspective? <laughs> well, I think you probably. I mean, I think the last two are the most important. Uh, I would say the most painful thing to deal with to directly answer your question is Salesforce being out of date or any CRM tool being out of date. That would be number one on my list. My team knows that um, intimately. Um, and I think Bobby, you hit on it and it's, it's the most thing, the most important thing you can be doing. And I will say it is the number one reoccurring thing from top performers that we see again and again and again. It's people that are able to create opportunities while they're winning people that win at the, at the expense of creation of new opportunities. Those are one-time wonders. Those are people that hit every other year. Creating new opportunities has got to be 50% of your time. Yeah, and you you nailed that piece too. The winners are the winners that keep winning and winning and winning, not the ones who change jobs every two years, get new territory, find the acorn, and then blow it out. The 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 special reps, the the, the big above average reps, are the ones that are creating it over and over again. Because they can be more discerning about the deals they're chasing, right? If you had twenty deals, I guarantee you, you wouldn't be watering dead plants if you had twenty deals going. No way, no way. All right, we'll wrap it up. So create, have a create mindset. Go out there, create, compete, and win. Don't be average. Average sucks, people. Thanks for listening to the Tech Sales Show. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Tech Sales Show. Subscribe to our email list at www.techsaleshow.com and follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Tech Sales Show. Until next week... 
Average is the enemy.